see everybody this morning. What a beautiful day to get outside and worship Jesus. I'm glad that you're here. We are uh, going to start into a series. We're kind of uh, beginning it today, and we'll be going through it for the month of August. And it's all about healthy hearts. Healthy hearts. You know, um, as a guy, I'll be honest, I don't love the idea always of uh, looking at my heart, examining how I'm doing on the inside. feels kind of touchy-feely, you know. I'd rather just kind of press forward and just kind of say, hey, I'm okay. I'm doing good. And uh, yet, <laughs> here's what I know. I had a wise man once tell me, if you're feeling a little off, if you find you're angry a little bit more than normal, you, you, you're maybe getting out of bed a little bit slower in the morning, you got some issues, your wife's saying, what's wrong with you? You know, it's okay to open the hood and take a look inside. You know, your heart's a little bit like the engine on your tractor, your car, whatever. It needs maintenance sometimes, all right? It needs an oil change sometimes. Sometimes the spark plugs need change. Sometimes the head gasket's out, right? Can anybody, do you know what I'm talking about? Sorry if I'm talking engine talk, but I mean, sometimes you need to do that. It's okay to look inside. So we want to do that over the next month. And really what we all need is to examine our hearts because our hearts, out of our hearts come our life. Uh, Proverbs 423 says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Do you know the condition of your heart ends up affecting the relationships that matter to you most? It affects your ability to succeed in life, to be successful, to accomplish the things you want to accomplish. Your heart, the condition of your heart, it affects all of that. And so we really do need to stop at times and look inside. And so that's what we want to do over the next month. And of course, today, as we uh, go through this service, we're going to, uh, I'm going to share a little bit out of Psalms chapter six and just some issues related to the heart and try to get us thinking that direction, see in scripture that this is so important for us. And then we're going to have a testimony of somebody that's experienced healing by doing that, by engaging uh, Jesus related to the heart. And then uh, Pastor Luke will, will kind of wrap things up for us and close us out. And then we'll have a, we've got a baptism this morning and and uh, we'll take communion together. So excited to be here together. My question for you this morning is, is your heart healthy? Is your heart healthy? Um, how are you feeling? How you doing? You know, um, in men, an indication, well, in all of us, but especially men, indication, something's not right inside is, is that anger that comes out real quick. Sometimes you react in anger and say, why did I do that? Um, it's just a little symptom. It's like if the light goes on in your, one of your tires is low. You know what I mean? It's an indicator, right? Something's wrong. I need to take a look at it. In the Psalms, and actually in the ancient church, the very early church, in the first 150 years, before they had the scriptures, they had the Old Testament, but they didn't have the New Testament yet. And so one of the things they would do is they would memorize portions of scripture and they would assign portions of scripture to certain things. And one of the things we see in the early church is what are called the penitential psalms. And, uh, and so the book of Psalm is a collection of poems and songs and, and writings from ancient times. A lot of them were uh, put together, written by David, who was uh, the... the uh, second king of Israel, and who was a poet and a musician. And, and so he wrote many of them, but it's a collection of works meant to speak to the heart and to guide us in a lot of ways through life. And so there's seven of these psalm uh, writings that go into what's called the penitential psalm, uh, psalms. And the first one is Psalm chapter 6, 
which we're going to look at this morning. And then Psalm 51 is maybe the most famous because that comes after David has uh, sinned with Bathsheba, killed her husband Uriah, and he's uh, been confronted by the prophet of God on this sin, and he comes to a repentance on it, and he just pours his heart out before God in Psalm 51. And so that's a famous one, but each one of these seven Psalms guide us in a process of uh, restoration with God, confession and repentance and restoration with God in issues related to our heart. And so when we find ourselves sad, when we find ourselves struggling, oftentimes heart issues are at the core. The Bible uh, and God speak so much to our hearts because they matter so much. Everything in life comes from our heart. And so Psalm 6 goes this way starts off with this. David says, Oh Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your rage. There's been sin committed here. And David has committed sin and he's, uh, he's in a sense, he's fearful, right, of God and his punishment. He knows that he's done wrong. He has that conviction and he has that, um, that sense inside that he is wrong and has done wrong and that God um, might punish him. That's nothing important. And so, um, and so he says, uh, he says, God, don't rebuke me in your anger. He goes on to say, why? In verse 2, he says, have compassion on me, Lord, for I am weak. I'm weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. I am sick at heart. David says, um, God, I can't handle a harsh rebuke right now. I'm hurting, I'm weak, I'm struggling. Uh, we have a ministry at our church called Celebrate Recovery, meets on Wednesday nights, and a lot of times what we discover in Celebrate Recovery is that um, perhaps at times we have addiction issues or we have issues with habits that we picked up that aren't good, but so often those begin or start in our lives because of a hurt, because of something we've encountered. Somebody's wronged us, uh, we've been damaged or wronged by a person or we've committed sin and it's put us in a relationship with, or a place in our lives internally where we're hurting and we're exhausted, we're hurt, we're defeated. David expresses that emotion. God, I can't handle a harsh rebuke right now. Please be gentle with me, right? I'm sick at heart. I'm hurting. He goes on to say, how long, O Lord, until you restore me? You know, sin always separates us from God. It breaks down the relationship we have with God makes us question if we really belong to God, and yet we all struggle with sin, and we are going to do so regularly throughout our lives. And so coming to that place of recognition and being willing to address it, what we really want is restoration. And David says, God, return. I need you in my life again. He says, save me because of your unfailing love. God, I throw myself at your mercy, David says. Your love is what I need to restore me. I need your forgiveness. I need your healing. He goes on to express what we sometimes feel. He says, for the dead do not remember you. Who can praise you from the grave? He's like, God, if I die, if you let me go on here, I'm going to die. And, and I can't praise you if I'm dead. I can't lift you up. I can't acknowledge you. So save my life. Verse 6, I am worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenched, uh, drenching it with tears. That um, expression of emotion, it's beyond 
uh, uh, what he can handle beyond what his mind can comprehend. Just that unloading of overwhelming emotion that sometimes we feel when we're hurting, when we're broken. Verse 7, he says, my vision is blurred by grief. I can't see. I'm hurting so bad I can't even see straight. My eyes are worn out because of all my enemies. Physically, he's feeling symptoms, right, of the anguish, of the fear, of the anxiety that's going on inside of him. Next, he, uh, he speaks to perhaps some of the cause of his anguish. In verse 8, he says, go away, all you who are evil. For the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord will answer my prayer. May all my enemies be discarded and terrified. May they suddenly turn back in shame. When we find ourselves in a place where we've sinned, we've walked away from God, we've walked into a behavior, a pattern that we know is wrong, we begin to feel what David's feeling. And at times we'll get to that place where everything seems lost. It's possible for us to walk into that place where we're so disoriented, where the life that we had and the life that we want seems distant and impossible to recover. I was listening to a radio show this week. I think it was actually online, but it was like a podcast. And there was a pastor there interviewing a young man who had called in and the young man was telling him of his situation. He was in despair. Um, he was discouraged. He was lost. His, he said, my life is ruined. And, and the, and the pastor said, what's, what's the problem? What's happened? And he said, well, um, I was married about a year ago, I was married, and, uh, and, and everything was fine. I had a family. But he said, then, uh, slowly over time, I began to uh, develop feelings for a coworker, uh, this woman at work. And she uh, connected with me. She was there for me. A little touch, a, a word, a conversation where I felt something. I began to feel feelings. And then before I knew it, we committed adultery. We slept together. And then uh, uh, I kept this all secret. But at one point, uh, she asked me to move in with her. And so I went to my wife and, and told her, that I was leaving, I wanted divorce, and I was going to move in with this woman. And, and so he did that, and he said uh, she had a child by another man, and we're living together. And pretty soon this father of the child moved in with us too. And before long, she dumped me. And he said, I'm sleeping in my car at a rest stop, and I've lost everything. I just want my life back. I've ruined it. Maybe your sin hasn't walked you that far away from the life that you want, the life that you had, but it can. And when that happens, when we find ourselves in a place where we recognize the position we're in because of what we've done, a sickness of heart occurs. And that produces oftentimes physical pain. David says, my bones are in agony. I hurt down to my frame. I don't know if you've ever hurt that bad because of something you've done, because of something that's happened to you, but that pain is real, and then it affects us physically. I've had people close to me going through anxiety, going through difficulties, get a heart monitor right, uh, feel like they're, they're having heart palpitations, worried they're going to have a heart attack, and, and really after sorting it all out, the cause is something that's going in their life, something going on in their life that is causing anxiety pressure. It produces so much in us and it's so harmful and it results oftentimes in physical issues that we feel. David even says, I feel like I'm, I'm going to die. We begin to get fear and anxiety related to things that probably aren't life-threatening, but we can feel that they are. 
And then he has that emotional release. He's crying on his bed all night in despair. My wife, Mary, who works with the women in our church, was talking to a widow who just lost her husband recently. And, and the lady was sharing that she just cries so much and can't stop crying. And Mary said something real powerful. I thought I'd heard everything that she had in her brilliant mind, but I hadn't heard this yet, but it's brilliant. She said, the more tears that are shed, the more love that was had. Sometimes our grief comes as just the result of life and that we live in a sinful world where death exists. And we're going to have to encounter that. But sometimes our, our sickness of heart leads to lack of sleep. An anxious mind does not produce a restful night's sleep. And so we can't sleep. We can't get rest. This affects us physically. And the physical health deteriorates. We can feel numb. Can't breathe. Heart racing or heart slowing down. Loss of weight or weight gain. Appetite changes, right? That feeling of being lost or isolated. All of this can occur in us and probably for most of us has at some point because of sin. Because of the effects of evil in our world. Whether it's our sin or the sin of someone else. We are stuck in the situation and we have to deal with it. Next, David prays against evil. He prays against evil people, but he asks God to repel them. If you're not dealing with spiritual issues in your life, the struggles you're having, conflict that you may be a part of, uh, the anxiety, the fear that you feel, if you're not dealing with that at a spiritual level, you're not dealing with it entirely. There is a spiritual battle that we're in. And we face spiritual enemies and spiritual issues. And the heart issues we have certainly are spiritual in nature. Next, David walks back to that place of confidence in God. So many times my sin has led me to a place of being uncertain if God was really there and if I was really connected to him. And I want you to know something today that if you put your trust in Jesus... Um, he has promised never to leave us or forsake us. And so um, in my life anyway, as I've walked in disobedience, as I've walked in rebellion, I walk away from God. And, uh, and so I feel as though I'm getting a long ways away from him, right? But what I've found is each moment in my life when I stop and decide to turn back to God, which is just confession and repentance, means to turn around. That I think I'm going to have a long road to get back to God. But what I find is that God's right there. Because God doesn't move. He doesn't leave. Right? We do. The focus of our life changes. And so I wonder if maybe what you and I need to do more often is just to turn around. And that, of course, is what repentance is. Going through the process of healing can be difficult it can be frustrating sometimes we're not fully aware of what's caused our issues I know when I got to college I was a young man and I'd lived in sin in high school and lived in rebellion at times in and out I'd kind of repent and I try to live for God for times and then I wouldn't and so I get to college and I was uh, just challenged and called and, and uh, compelled to give my life 100% to Jesus and to follow him and I made a decision in a service, and I went forward, and I really gave my life to Christ in that sense of turning to him and giving 100% to him, holding nothing back. And I began to go on a, on a journey of healing because I needed that. 
And, and so I got in God's word and he began to speak to me and the Holy Spirit would speak to me and convict me and I would walk into obedience and I would have the truth of God just constantly in my life and pouring through me and I began to believe the truth and be able to identify the lies and leave them behind. And at times I'd have to make amends with somebody. I'd have to ask forgiveness of somebody I'd wronged. There were times that I needed to forgive somebody for something they'd done to me. But I went through this process. And and as I look back on my life, I didn't know this is what was happening. But I was going through a process of healing my heart. And it took about a year. Um, and, and, And it took longer than that, but a year to really get healing to happen to the acute pain that I was experiencing and what I had walked myself into because of my sin. This process is required for all of us to experience healing. We've got to turn to Jesus with everything. The Bible tells us, right, the greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that really is the answer to healing that we need in our hearts. Turning to God, all in, hold nothing back. Repent of our sin and begin to move towards him and spend time with him and listen to him and let him speak to us. And when he speaks to us, respond in obedience. And that process begins to heal our hearts. I talk to people frequently and I've worked through my own struggles um, with walking myself into a really bad place uh, as a pastor. Um, I went through a period of time where I couldn't get out of bed and I was in extreme depression and uh, went through a really difficult time. And, and a lot of that, some of it was due to a situation that I was in, but some of it, a lot of it was due to my own sin and my uh, pride and thinking that I could do everything and carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders. I know none of you know anything about that, but some of us have a tendency to do that at times, and it was wrong. And I walked myself right into a place of, of burnout and just a mess. And, and it took more than a year for me to get healing, to deal with the issues of my heart, to repent of my sin. But I work with people occasionally walking through this kind of thing or with everybody that comes to Jesus. And I'm telling you, it takes time. It doesn't happen like this. It didn't happen in a moment that you got in that position. And so it's going to take time to get out of it and to move towards healing. And so I just want to encourage you that it takes time. It's frustrating. I tore an Achilles tendon uh, years ago, 2011, and uh, boy, it's frustrating to try to rehabilitate a part of your body that has always worked very well and all of a sudden doesn't, and it takes the same kind of attention to our hearts. We ha- make decisions that lead us into hurt. We've got to make decisions uh, that change our hearts and minds and get us out of that and into the right place with God. It takes time. Our 12th step at Celebrate Recovery is nine months. Feels like a long time. A lot of, some people just, they get into it and they're like, I can't do this. It takes time. Uh, we have someone in our church, uh, a couple actually, Bill, Billy and Marlo Ward. And Marlo and Billy have gone through this. And Marlo is going to come and share uh, some of her story with you. Very powerful as to the healing that God wants to bring into your life and will bring into your life if you'll be willing to walk that process. So Marlo, would you come and share with us what God's done in your life? Um, With the uh, recovery program that we have, a lot of people think that's not for me. Some people say, man, is everybody going to know about this? I don't want everybody to know. And we all face this. And what I tell everybody is when you start out, you're really concerned about that. By the time you're done, usually you're willing to get up in front of everybody and tell a lot of people what God's done in your life. And that's where Marlo's at. So Marlo, come and share with us.
I'd like to pray first. Holy Father, thank you for letting me give this testimony today. I pray that you speak through it and that you touch hearts in a way that will glorify and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. To give a testimony of what Christ has done in my life is such a privilege. It doesn't get much better than being able to tell of how God reached out to save me. And it is, and giving our testimonies is so important because how will anybody and everybody know if we don't tell them? We need to show the world what an authentic Christian life looks like. As we live out our lives for Christ, we actually become a living testimony. The testimony I share today is for this season, to tell of what Christ has done in, through, and for me by leading me to celebrate recovery. Having known my Savior my whole life, I have multiple stories and testimonies of him saving my life, pulling me out of rebellion and faithlessness on my part with an unending love, grace, and mercy. Celebrate Recovery gave me the healing I was desperately seeking and proved to be much more important than I could have ever realized. It was life-changing. For many years, I have regularly prayed Psalm 143.8. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I put my trust in you. Show me the path on which I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. And I have prayed and leaned on the promise of Ezekiel 36.26. And I will give you a new heart and a... I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. My loving and gracious King Jesus led me to celebrate recovery to see these prayers answered. And almost immediately, the opposition of the enemy began and he attempted to derail us and keep it keep it keep us from making it through if ever i've seen the power of god work in my life it has been more evidence in the last 11 months than ever before about a month after billy and i began my family was blindsided by a terrorism of a horrific lie. We were shaken to the core and in a state of helplessness, the likes of which we had never known. Without the prayers for us, with us, and over us, along with the love of our brothers and sisters here, I have no idea what might have become of us. But all the time, God was working it out. Then there was the constant snowstorms nearly every Wednesday night, so bad that a couple of meetings had to be canceled, or Billy and I started out only to have to turn back home because the roads were so treacherous. 
but all of the time, God was working it out. Then there was the night of the storm that came during Celebrate Recovery, and on the way home, my car went into a slide on the slush and ice. We went over the embankment, rolled, and totaled the car. We walked away with minor bumps and bruises, and all of the time, God was working it out. In February, I ended up in the ER and was later diagnosed with AFib. I'm currently being treated, and God is still working it out. When I started Celebrate Recovery, I had no idea what codependency was or that much of the problems I had in my marriage and other relationships were caused by my trying to control people and situations. I was trying to force people in the right direction, fix their mistakes, or rescue them from what I perceived as their flaws. I was constantly putting myself between God and everyone else as if I could change them. I did everything for everyone to the detriment of my own health and self-care. I had to be reminded that my husband was not my enemy. As Ephesians 6, 12 says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So in principle one, I began healing. It says, realize, I realize I am not God. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and my life is unmanageable. The corresponding verse, blessed are the poor in spirit, Matthew 5, 3. So many years I tried living as a person, other, as a person others expected me to be instead of living as the person Christ made me to be. I can see now that I had to go through every crisis and trauma to get to the very end of me, where there was nothing left but Jesus, and that's where my healing is and remains. This world remains sinful, and our only hope of victory is in Christ our King, Relinquishing all to him has saved my marriage, my life, and my sanity. Celebrate Recovery is for everyone because we are, all, we are all better together as a family of God, sharing in the body of Christ with the gifts that he so generously gives to each one of us. With my sponsor, Kosha, my accountability partners, and the amazing ladies in our 12-step group, this has been a blessed journey, and I am beyond blessed to have each one of these people in my life today. The evidence of my healing could be seen in my graduation from the 12-step program, and later on, Billy's graduation from his 12-step program. As I prepared for today, Revelation 12, 10 to 12, came to mind. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, 
Now come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. I stand before you today as one who has triumphed, because the blood of the Lamb has given me a testimony. And I am so happy to be able to share it with you today. God knew exactly what I needed and where I needed to be. He had to tear away my religious defects to bring me back to the relationship of my trust in his perfect love and will. My journey continues, and I still need accountability as not to return to my old ways. You know, like the dog returning to its vomit, the fool returns to his folly. And I may not know what this day may bring, but I know who holds the day. Thank you. There's a lot of powerful truth that I think has been shared about the importance of healing and the importance of really taking steps towards that. So I just want to pray for us real quick as we wrap up our service and, and dive into the gospel and how that does impact the healing that we need. So Father God, I just thank you for your faithfulness, God. I thank you for what's been shared by Pastor John and what's been shared by Marlo, God, and just the evidence of our need for you, Lord. So I just pray that as we partake in communion and baptism, Lord, and I'm closing your gospel, Father, that we could... Have a true, honest heart, Lord. Reflect in our own mind, our own heart, Lord, in the ways that we need you and we need your healing. We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this topic for me, um, I'm, I'm passionate about, partially because like John, um, I've experienced my own times of burnout and struggle um, within ministry. But really more importantly, I think for me, is that healthy hearts just don't matter for this life, um, but healthy hearts matter for eternal life. That there's a, a scripture that says every man will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give account for the deeds that he has done in the body. He's not just talking about non-believers, but he's also talking about the believer. That our soul is saved by the grace of God, but we will still be held accountable for how we stewarded the gift of salvation and the gifts that he's given us and the love of Christ that he's displayed on the cross. And a lot of times our hearts is evidence of how deeply we're actually receiving that gift. How much does the blood of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ really mean in our lives? We're going to be offering a time to respond um, after um, our, our service today. We have one baptism, but we brought extra um, shorts and some T-shirts and some towels. So if anyone here has not received the gospel and, and God so moves you today, um, I would just ask during uh, the closing, during communion and worship, I'll be underneath the stage when love to talk to you if you feel like God is stirring on your heart to make a decision. See, the truth is each one of us here is an eternal being. We are going to live forever. 
Not one person you ever meet is just going to live for this life, but every single person is going to spend eternity somewhere. That eternity could be in heaven, in the presence of God, in paradise, worshiping and, and serving Him forever. Or that eternity could be in hell, in complete separation from God, away from His love, away from His presence, and away from His purpose for our lives. And the tough thing for us is we've talked a lot today of how we're incapable, really, of serving God, that our sinful nature gets a hold of our heart. And when we want to serve God, a lot of times we don't feel as if we even can, that the power of sin can be very strong. And the Bible tells us the standard of heaven is perfect, that the standard of heaven isn't good, the standard of heaven isn't trying our best, that standard of heaven isn't getting discipled or going to celebrate recovery or coming to church, but the standard of heaven is perfection. And the reason that is true, because if an imperfect person got into heaven, what would happen to heaven, right? It wouldn't be perfect anymore. That if God just let good people into heaven, pretty soon heaven would turn out just like what we have right now, just like earth. There would be a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of disagreements, even if people were trying their best. And so in order to be in God's presence, we have to be holy. We have to be perfect just as he is perfect. And Jesus came to make this possible, and what I pray this morning that we could all consider is the gospel is not for um, the unconverted person only. Or the gospel isn't just for the new believer. But the gospel is just for the believer, period. And I know for me, when I was at my lowest, when I had um, been in ministry for um, a few years and working in street ministry and seeing God do amazing things, God brought me to a place of total brokenness where my solution wasn't a bunch of new information, but my solution was actually being brought back to the foundation of my faith. And what did I really believe was true about the gospel? What did I believe was true about my sin? What did I believe was true about my heart? And would I allow God to get to the bottom of those things? The first thing that God brought me to has been spoken on a lot this morning is the fall of man. That God created us in his likeness and his image, but because we sinned, we fell, right? We use that word, but just to kind of a mental picture, we're here, we're in a relationship with God, and we fell from that purpose. And a few things happen there. One, our relationship with God is damaged. But two, our ability to perceive reality is changed. The Bible says that because of sin, we end up worshiping ourselves. We become self-worshippers rather than worshipers of God. And when we do that, we exchange the truth of God for a lie. We start to believe that a lie is good for us. And we start to believe that lie is truth. And we start to think the truth that God has given us is actually the very thing that's harming us. Very much what Marlowe talked about of codependency. We think controlling other people and getting what we want is what's best for us. Instead, we lose sight of glorifying God and serving others is actually what will bring healing into our heart. And I know for me as a believer and as somebody in ministry, I was assured of my salvation before God. But why I was obeying God started to get skewed. Sometimes I was obeying God out of fear. I was obeying God out of guilt. I was obeying God over um, outcomes that I wanted. I was obeying God maybe out of people pleasing or pressure from those around me. But John mentioned this. What is the greatest commandment in the Bible? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength. And so I believe the greatest sin in the scripture is not doing that. It's being self-centered. is obeying God out of false motives rather than obeying him truly out of love. And God had to bring me back to the basics. That my biggest problem was this rebellion, even though I was serving God. And from the outside looking in, it looked good. I saw people get saved off of methamphetamine, saw people get their kids back, saw people. God released them over uh, amazing, amazing things. 
But in my heart, there was still a striving and there was a performance that was hindering my relationship with God and ultimately broke, brought me to brokenness. To really receive the gospel, the very first thing we need to do is realize our own bankruptcy. I cannot please God on my own. There's nothing I can do to impress God. There's nothing. And God had to bring me to that point to remember that I, God didn't need me, but I needed God. Before God created the heavens and the earth, he was perfectly self-sustainable with who he was. He was perfectly loving, perfectly glorious, perfectly just. He did not need our help to be happy or to be content. But God created us and provided this opportunity so that we could enjoy him. And I think that a lot of times we can get in seasons where we feel like God is maybe created to serve us rather than we've been created to serve God. And the second thing that God had to bring me back to, and John mentioned this as well, um, is was God really with me and how did I know that? Did God really love me and how did I know that, that if that was true? One scripture that, that God brought me to during this time was in 1 John, and it says, and this is love. This is how we know God loves us. Not that we loved him, but that he first loved us. And what God showed me is that before the creation of time, before I had done anything good, but when I was just a rebellion, or a rebel against God, that Jesus chose to come, leave the riches of heaven. He chose to come and be a suffering servant despite all the evil things that I'd done. Jesus says that no one could take his life, but that he chose to lay it down. And something that I had to realize is Jesus did what he did, not for any secondary benefit for me. But Jesus did what he did, not out of pity or not because he had to, but truly because he loved me and he wanted a relationship with me. And even though that is fundamental in Christianity, I challenge you, how much of your relationship with God is dependent upon how, what you're doing for him? Do you have peace with God even when you fail, even when you're caught in your sin, even when you're caught in depression? Can you still have peace with God? Because if our relationship with God is based upon his grace, even though there's conviction and there's repentance, we can always have peace because of the truth that we did not first love God, but that he first loved us. The second thing that God brought me to in the gospel is that Jesus lived a perfect life of obedience for me. And when we look at celebrate recovery, um, and I know for me, I went through counseling. A lot of times when people go through things like that, a lot of the reasons they're there is because of the very things that Jesus went through. And what I mean by that is Jesus was um, rejected. And because of rejection, that leads to a lot of hurts, habits, hang-ups, addiction. But instead of leading that to Jesus, he, he led himself through the power of the Spirit to righteousness. That Jesus was misunderstood. Jesus was falsely accused. Marlo mentioned that in her own testimony. Jesus was lied to. He was betrayed. All of these things, Jesus happened to him, but he did not respond out of uh, bitterness, but he li lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. And on the cross, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 21, says that on the cross, Jesus, who knew no sin, he became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. That at that moment on the cross, Jesus took every evil, wicked thing that we'd ever done, everything we thought about doing, and he bore the weight of that. And just for a minute, I know all of us have sinned. Just think about every conviction and weight that you've ever carried due to your sin. If it all were to fall on you at one time, be enough to crush somebody, right? But Jesus took on the weight, the guilt, the blame of the sin, not only of the world of those people living at the time, but all of those who would live in the history of mankind, Jesus Christ paid the price for their sin. 
Not only did he die a physical death, but he took on the wrath of God that you and I deserved. But the second half of this verse is what I want to focus on and for our response um, this morning. Is he said that Jesus did that. He, he chose to love us when we were at our worst. That Jesus chose to be rejected and to be despised and to suffer a gruesome, gruesome death. So that we would become the righteousness of God. And this isn't just the righteousness of God in heaven someday. But Jesus died for us to represent him. And the question for you and I is I believe how deeply we've taken to heart the gospel of Christ, especially as believers, is shown in our urgency to serve him and to become more like him. And when we take no steps to grow in our relationship with Christ, when we know our heart's hurting, but we don't want to go to CR, we know we need to grow in our relationship with Christ, but we don't want to be involved in discipleship, we don't want to be involved with a life group, or whatever opportunities God puts in front of us, or maybe it's to even lead those things, I believe a lot of times that is showing that we have not really taken to heart the message of the gospel, that we are seeing that Jesus Christ's sacrifice for us is maybe just kind of a get-out-of-hell-free card down the road. But I would challenge each one of us to really reflect How much is the love of Christ really impacting you on a day-to-day basis for your conviction because you are the reward of his sufferings? Have you ever thought about that? You are the very reward of what Christ died for, your soul. Your life is why Jesus died. And that he is planned for his glory and his love and his purposes to be reflected through you and me. And what are we doing to get over those things that are holding us back from demonstrating that? I just want to think, uh, have you think about this real quick. If there was a dad who had spent the first 16 years of his son's life, we're going to say, none of us are, but we're going to say this is a perfect dad. And he's shown his son how to do the right things. He's shown his son how to love people, how to serve, how to be patient, how to be kind. At the end of this 16-year period of his son watching his father do all these things as a graduation present, he says, all right, son, we're going to go on a one-week vacation. I planned it with all your favorite things. I planned it so we can grow in our relationship with you. And his son said, you know, thanks, Dad, but, you know, I don't really want to go. I just want to do what I want to do. And what I want to do is actually the opposite of what you've taught me for the last 16 years. I just want to spend my life on doing what I want to do. I don't want to follow what you've taught me. For those of you who are dads or maybe mothers here, um, that would hurt, right, to hear that from your kid. That would really hurt if you spent all this time and investment. And again, done perfectly. None of us have done it perfectly. But for that kid to just say, you know what? I'm just going to do it on my own. And that is the reality of what Christ has done for us. He's done everything perfectly. He could not do any more than what he's done. And so oftentimes we just decide, you know, I'll serve God later. This is a busy season. It's hard. But we never take the time to really sell, give our lives to Christ in the way that he has given our life for us. So as we close in this service I mean, if you've never make, made that decision to really be free um, from your sin, to be free of your guilt, to be free from your shame, to really receive the gospel, and not just in mind, but well, like John said, to be totally rid of yourself. Because you can't hold on to two things at once. You can't hold on to your life. You can't hold on to your own way and receive the gospel. It has to be a complete and total surrender. Because if we're sharing our heart with Christ, um, it's just not going to work, right? He's a jealous God. He wants all of you not just part of you. So I close this in prayer. We're going to um, get ready for our baptism. And again, if you want to respond 
um, to the gospel or just want to come talk about next steps. How can you be involved in celebrate recovery, discipleship, life groups, counseling, um, or maybe you want to disciple others. Um, please reach out to us. Heading into this fall, this could be a time where we don't just acknowledge the sacrifice of Christ, but our life shows that it's impacted us. our best, God, but that you chose to love us when we could offer you nothing. Lord, I pray that you bless this time of worship and communion. God, that in this, Lord, we could reflect on what Jesus Christ has done for us. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.